Dharma, incomparable, profound and minutely subtle, pervading the entire universe, revealing right here, right now. Yet it is rarely experienced, even in hundreds, thousands, millions of eons. We can see this, listen to this, know and embrace this. May we completely understand and actualize this Tathagata's true meaning. Hello, everybody. I see everyone. So I have a little joke for you. So the Buddha was walking through the city and came up to a hot dog vendor. And as he walked up, the vendor said, hey, what can I get you? He says, make me one with everything. <laughs> Somebody told me that today. Oh, I love that stuff. Make me one with everything. So I'm always so intrigued when we come and we sit together, and especially when new people come and experience this strange thing that we call Zazen, you know. And it's not really Zazen that we're experiencing, we're experiencing ourselves. We're, we're experiencing this strange me, this strange human, you know. And all of our practices here are geared at seeing this, you know, at facing it, you know, coming face to face with this, this I or this me. I always crack up when we do uh, and I'm still like a little kid inside and I just, you know, if I'm in church, I'm, I'm literally like, I still laugh when I'm in church, you know, this kind of, <laughs> uh, but as we walk in Kinhin, it's so silly what we do, you know, um, and I, I don't mean that literally, but from the ego standpoint, from the self standpoint, uh, most people are like, what is this all about? You know, <laughs> we're just walking in this circle all quiet, you know. And the point of it is that we see the ego show up. We see it. Uh, we hear the voice of it, you know. And so tonight's talk is kind of based on this, this I. So I titled it, If there is no self, then who is this me? If there is no self, then who is this me? So one of the things that separates Buddhism from most religions, almost every religion, is that the Buddha said there is no self. It's a fabrication. We make it up ourselves. You know? and, uh, and to investigate this is really this, uh, is the grounds that we work in. You know, it's the, the activity of the, of mindfulness, the activity of awareness is this seeing this self arise in all kinds of situations, you know. And it always, almost always begins in the inner voice, you know, what does that inner voice look like? And then gone uh, unchecked for long enough, it, it turns into our outer voice, you know. It's the way that we speak to others, it's uh, this, the, the the ideas in which we uh, propagate in life and all this stuff comes out of this thing called self. So to see it is not easy. <laughs> That's an understatement, you know. 
and then to begin to practice with it is really uh, is really an amazing uh, an amazing practice. This is why I believe that spiritual practice is not easy uh, because of how entrenched the ego is within us. And literally, what what happens is that as that uh, begins to build and build and build, it becomes more and more of who we are. Our our identity becomes that. So for most people, you they would never even say that there is a, a separate self, because they just think it's that ego is all they are. So I have a couple little readings, a couple little things that point out. So, uh, this is from Bodhidharma, which is, uh, if you can, try not to try and figure this out. Try not to understand it, if you will. Just listen. The Buddha is your real body, your original mind. This mind has no form or characteristics, no cause or effect, no tendons or bones. It's like space. You can't hold it. It's not the mind of materialists or nihilists. Except for a Tathagata, no one else. No mortal, no deluded being can fathom it. But this mind isn't somewhere outside the material body of four elements. With that, without this mind, we can't move. The body has no awareness, like a plant or stone. The body has no nature. So how does it move? It's the mind that moves. Language and behavior, perception and conception are all functions of the moving mind. All motion is the mind's motion. Motion is its function. Apart from motion, there's no mind. And apart from the mind, there's no motion. But motion isn't the mind. And the mind isn't motion. Motion is basically mindless. And the mind is basically motionless. But motion doesn't exist without the mind. And the mind doesn't exist without motion. There's no mind for motion to exist apart from and no motion for mind to exist apart from. Motion is the mind's function, and its function is its motion. Even so, the mind neither moves nor functions, because the essence of its functioning is emptiness, and emptiness is essentially motionless. Motion is the same as the mind then the mind is essentially motionless. <clears throat> so the amazing part about these writings is that the mind tries to grasp hold of it. It wants to, needs to understand it. Because the mind is always looking for a solution. It's always looking for the quickest, easiest solution. So if I could just, if I could just grasp what this is saying, all would be well. And yet, 
as Bodhidharma is really pointing at, is to see this motion of the mind, to see its essential emptiness, we must step out of it. The self must take a back seat. And so this becomes the function of Zazen. This becomes the function of, of uh, sitting in silence, practicing silence. When I started sitting in Zazen, I, I, I named it Silent Surrender. Uh, because the first thing I woke up and uh, thought about was not sitting in meditation. You know? My first thought in the morning is to, to go. I just want to go. And so this, this, um, this discipline, this practice for me became a means to stop, a literal means to stop. And what I was really doing was stopping the ego in its tracks, you know. I was almost like trying to nail its feet to the floor, you know. <laughs> it doesn't work well, but I was trying to. And it really is only through this, at least in my limited experience, it is through this so-called surrender. Dogen said, uh, uh, we must, um, to see the Buddha way, we must forget the self. To forget this, uh, in forgetting the self, the 10,000 things are enlightened. So how do I forget this self? You know? How do I set this thing aside? So for me, it's very practical. Um, I wake up and I want things, and I and I don't worry about that wanting. I wake up and I say, I'm going to sit down. I don't look at my telephone in the morning. I don't go on the computer. Uh, I don't eat. I make a bowl of tea. I have a little ritual that I do every day. And I start each day this way because it still is my silent surrender. It still is this means of investigating this self. And so for me still today to investigate this self, I must forget all of the stuff that I want, even if it's just for an hour in the morning. And in doing so, Wisdom has this ability to come forth. It's like unpacking a suitcase, you know, it really is. As we sit in Zazen, everything shows up, you know. And as those things show up, and we, we start to become aware of it, and this is what we mean by returning to the breath, uh, as I recognize I'm lost in the story of something I want, or something I'm missing, or something I think I lack, I set that aside. And I return to the breath, and I return to just sitting in front of this strange mirror, you know. And in doing so, we allow the, we allow the motion of the mind to continue without trying to choke it to death you know, without forcing it to do something else.
trying to force it. And Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this of uh, as we sit in meditation, we it's like two wrestlers, you know, and the strongest one is going to hold the other one down. But how long is that going to work for? You're only going to be able to hold him down for a little while, right? And eventually he will break free. It's the same thing with our mind. When we're sitting and grappling in meditation, uh, we are in this internal battle. It's really wild to watch. And, um, and the minute that you let go of the battle, this is what that silent surrender is. I go, okay. And I just return to my breath. I just return to feeling the body, to experiencing the breath entering and leaving, you know, this whole process that's happening. So Bodhidharma's writings are always very wild and, uh, and, uh, and beautiful and cryptic. And I think they're really meant to be that way and they're really meant to stay that way. Uh, because uh, from what I know, like I said in the beginning of this, I'm always looking for the answer to my salvation, not yours, my salvation. And in doing so, I stay self-centered in nature, always, constantly. That's the function of the self, is to protect it. You know? But what we know about the self is very little, it's very small. But this Buddha nature is huge. It's, it's, it's incomparable. It's beyond, comp uh, it's beyond understanding, maybe. So to step into that is really, really something. So in Buddhism, there are the uh, a teaching called the Three Dharma Seals. Uh, and it talks about the three main uh, functions of of this practice, uh, which are impermanence, no self or non-self, and nirvana. And when you really see the way that they work together, they all literally uh, they work in unison together. Uh, when one isn't seen, none of them are seen. This kind of idea. And so when you start to when you start to understand the way that they uh, interact with each other, uh, it starts to give strength to the next, this kind of idea. Uh, so, Thich Nhat Hanh tells this, this little story. So he says, this, the second Dharma seal is non-self. Nothing has a separate existence or a separate self. Nothing. Everything has to interbe with everything else. First time I tasted peanut butter cookies, I was at Tassajara Zen Mountain Center in California, and I love them. I learned to make. I learned that to make peanut butter cookies, you mix the ingredients to prepare the batter, and then you put each cookie onto a cookie sheet using a spoon. I imagine that the moment each cookie leaves the bowl of dough, and is placed onto the tray, it begins to think of itself as separate. You, the creator of the cookies, know better, and you have a lot of compassion for them. You know that they are originally all one, and that even now the happiness of each cookie is still the happiness of all the other cookies. 
but they have developed discriminative perception, vikalpa. And suddenly they set up barriers between themselves. When you put them out, when you put them in the oven, they begin to talk to each other. Get out of my way. I want to be in the middle. <laughs> I am brown and beautiful and you are ugly. <laughs> we have the tendency to behave this way also, and it causes a lot of suffering. If we know how to touch our non-discriminating mind, our happiness and the happiness of others will increase, manif uh, increase manifold. <clears throat> so how do we touch this non-discriminating mind? You know, this is the real key. You know, how do I get to this place of not the voice of the mind, not the chatter? You know, the rat race, the little hamster wheel. How do I move past this part? Everybody that enters into meditation goes, I can't quiet my mind. And we go, good. So we have a beginning. Because if you were just to be able to stop the mind, you would never see where you're stuck. You'd never see it. Because the chatter is the stuckness. The chatter is the mud, you know. And so as we sit in meditation, as this chatter just incessantly goes, we start to see the patterns of the mud. We start to see the patterns of the way it's always talking, the way it's always wanting, the way it's always pushing away, the way it separates us. You know? And also in our daily lives, but this, um, this tends to be a little bit harder for us in the beginning because... You know, when you sit in meditation, you have no choice but to hear the voice, to listen to the voice. When we're in the world, we're so busy and so distracted that uh, bringing awareness to it takes more. It takes more time and more practice. But this story that that he wrote and the the beauty of as all the dough is mixed together, it is all one. You know, it's a hot dog vendor. Make me one with everything. Mm -hmm. You know. And the minute that each of us is taken out of that, that wholeness, I always, I always have this image of when we're each born and we're removed from our mother. And the minute that is, and the minute that we come out and that cord is cut, it starts right there. How crazy it's got to feel. I think if we had the ability to be conscious of it, it would probably feel very alien, you know. Just like the movie Alien, when that crazy little thing pops out, you know? <laughs> I think that's how we would all feel. You know, you got all these people and masks and lights and crazy gadgets. You know, I just want to go back into the warm belly. You know, that's where I want to go. So, but the minute that that happens for us, something starts to change. Just like all life, if you pluck a flower and you put it in some soil. Well, that flower has to adapt to this new life, or it will what? It will die. So all life has this quality to it. So the teaching of non-self is, is, is very wild, uh, almost to the point where it shouldn't even be talked about. 
but we have to talk about it, you know. Uh, because in the talking, we're easily misled, you know. And I know for myself, I love loopholes. If somebody gives me a loophole, I put it in my pocket and I'll use it later, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah. <laughs> so if somebody gives me a little loophole on practice, on something that's going to be difficult, I'll find a way to make it a little bit easier for myself, you know. Oh, this little, this little self. Well, I wrote a little poem. I always write a little poem. Please turn off the power when looking from the lens of the projector. It tends to distort the colors and keeps the ghosts hiding behind pens and papers. These little apparitions have, these apparitions have little faith in the perceiver. Looking out these dirty windows, there's a sense of beauty in all that tends to be replaced by laziness and indifference. My feet start crying again. I still haven't found a way to keep the switch in its off position. So I read another poem, drinking some more stains from my cup. There's a man holding up a bowl of tea, waiting to remember to stop remembering. Is there really an off switch? Or is it more like a hum droning on of the incessant eye? Put your head on the floor. It's cold, harsh refreshing. In the meantime, there's no more room in this bag of bones. There's too much junk. It looks like a hoarder lives here. The floors and organs are all covered in papers and old memories. Since you can't burn paper generated by thoughts, looks like we'll have to clean this house a different way. And that's the, that's the spiritual path for me. The spiritual path doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Sitting in Zazen doesn't make sense. If you ask the normal world, tell the normal world that you're going to sit for a whole day in silence and see what, they, see what their reactions are. You know? Even somebody that loves you will look at you like you got two heads or three. You know? The Buddha called this... Uh, this practice against the stream. And it literally goes against our preconceived notions of what works and what doesn't work. And this is something we're always challenged with. We're always challenged with our preconceived notions. We're always, we're always challenged by our beliefs. We're always challenged by um, our ideas. Not because they're necessarily wrong, but because they're limited. They're very small. You know, when I think about Mother Earth, she's not concerned with humans. She's concerned with life. And if you look at, at, at what's really happening here, we only make up 0.01% of life on Earth. Humans make up 0.01% of life forms on Earth. So I know that Mother Earth is not just concerned with us dummies, you know. There's a lot of life here to take care of. And her job is to take care of it, you know, in the many ways that she does. 
And for us, we have this ability to show up and see ourselves differently. And I, I, I truly believe that. To show up in a different way, uh, to show up in a way that truly works. And uh, to face ourselves in a new way. It doesn't make it any easier, but I believe that it's something that works and works very well. And so Zen is about this, this strange, uh, this strange way of facing ourselves. And I believe most of the spiritual, especially the mystic traditions, are about that. And this is why we focus on silence, because it really only is in silence that A, you will hear the voice of the self, and B, eventually when that voice quiets enough, wisdom has enough room to come forth and really, and really show itself. So I just want to share this one little re last reading and then we'll move along. If we want to keep our Zazen alive, we need to watch for sticking places. When we find them, we can practice letting go. You see, it takes courage and integrity to keep going with this practice. We can easily think we're not stuck when in fact we are. We may be feeling quite satisfied or even a little smug with ourselves <laughs> and what we are accomplishing in practice when actually we are only trying to hold on to an experience or a realization. The people around us are often aware of this problem long before we are. The odor can be quite obvious. <laughs> Eventually we'll trip, we'll trip over the karma we've been creating with our clinging. A lot of problems can be avoided by making a habit of asking ourselves, where am I stuck? If we're feeling really brave, we might even ask our loved ones or our teachers to tell us what they see. We manage to get stuck in places we'd at least expect, including our reasons for taking up a meditation practice. Those reasons can easily become something we strive for after and try to attain like a trophy. Many of us were drawn to meditation because we wanted to gain some understanding about life and ourselves. Zazen does bring about understanding, but not the kind of understanding that can be held on to. The understanding we gain through Zazen is right understanding, like the Buddha talked about in the Eightfold Path to Liberation. Remember that right comes from the Sanskrit word samyak which means to be one. The only way we can experience true understanding, being one with, is to let go of everything. By letting go of our desire to understand, we can open ourselves to oneness, the absolute unity of all things. We may have practiced for many years and had many realizations, but we still need to drop it all.
So as always, if anybody would like to share, if anybody has questions or comments, um, you're allowed to unmute. Or anyone in this end, please. Nobody wants to talk about the self. <laughs> <laughs> May I speak? <laughs> I remembered that maybe children know. Maybe children know what is harder for us to know. I remember when I was about seven or eight, there was a mirror on the wall and I pressed my nose to the mirror and got very close to my eyes. And I thought, oh, who is in there? Mm -hmm. And who would I be if my name wasn't what it is? And if I didn't live here? And I felt so close, like I could find out. And I was a little girl who left recess to sit by herself in, in a chapel. And then I grew up. And now it's harder to get there. So maybe children know. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. And maybe, and maybe we can too. You know, I mean, I, I believe that that was the Buddha's the Buddha's message to us, that we can find this Buddha nature in this life. We can at least touch it, you know? And uh, I'm sure you have in, in some ways as well. Now it's the keeping it. You know? that's, the, that's the great challenge for us. Just like that writing talks about, it's not something that we can hold on to. Thank you, Monica. Just a quick follow-up to Monica's sharing. We we've talked a number of times in the mornings and morning meditation about wonder, mm -hmm. and I think as Monica pointed out, I think we become as we as we get older, we become so consumed with the self. We, we become so consumed with all of our masks, all of these roles that we take on. So consumed with the self that we lose that wonder that we had. Uh, as children, uh, or not not lose it because I think it's always there within us. It's it's a part of our Buddha nature, but we we forget that wonder, and so we 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 begin to to forget uh, that questioning mind, that beginner's mind that we so often talk about in Zen, where we ask those questions that Monica asked as a child, uh, you know, in front of the mirror, who am I? Who who is that in there? Who might I be? What, what would my name be if it wasn't this? We, we kind of begin to lose that wonder because we become so, so consumed with the self, so consumed with all of the roles and all of the conditioning that we take on. Uh, but I think as you suggested, I think that wonder is still there. It's within us. And I think we can still uh, rediscover that, that wonder. We can still remember that, that wonder that we, that we had as children and that we still have, but, uh, but it just gets a little bit lost, I think. 
all of our uh, all of our uh, suffering no. consuming. Thanks, Donna. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I I, I could see Monica stuffing her nose on the mirror today. You know, <laughs> holding it up close, <laughs> breathing it, getting all getting all steamed up. <laughs> Maybe that'll work. Yes. Um, people I have the okay. fifty-one-year-old woman who has the glioblastoma. So she says to me, "I have to make sense of that." I said, "There's nothing. It's an empty room." So, as Monica was saying, she was asking, "Who am I, or what's behind this?" The question is, an adult is experiences nothingness. And that is so beyond frightening. So there's all this grasping, like, I can't, you know, it's poignant when she says, I can't think about the future. I don't want to be in the past. Why would this happen to me? Nothing. She's shedding things that, unless we're in that same space. So it's like a Zen stick whacking her at every moment to only be in the now. And she's the aroma of the bread being baked. She's the hearing of the voice of her child. It's there is she's trying to do something that's going to increase herself. And so I don't know asking who I am or going after anything is actually what I think of as that. I think it's being in that space where you don't allow emptiness to want to land on your form. Or if you de- if you touch it temporarily, you realize it's in motion and you'll go back to thinking. Hmm. I think it's easy to conceptualize this out of well, we can conceptualize it any way, which which is kind of why I said when we put this into words. Um, each one of us is going to hear it our own way, and and it and in some ways destroys what it really. Well, that's what I'm saying right. to this woman who has that. Okay. You know, like you are whatever experience you are now. If you want to cause more suffering and divert yourself, I see. I see. Oh, uh, why did I? Get I thought you were saying the opposite. No, no, no. Okay. I'm into that. Right. You are whatever your experience is. If, it, if right. you're smelling something, that's where you're at at that moment. You are the smell. Right. But for most people that don't practice, that's so it's 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 so foreign that it's very it's very difficult to practice to, to even grasp that, you know. But we you know, to to offer her that in in, uh, in any way is uh, is wonderful too, you know. Well, to she, show up and just smell the bread, you know. Well, I think when 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 you know you're going to die, <laughs> and you definitely know it. Okay, right. you have like an end date. You're if you're smart and you're creative and you've always wondered about life. At that moment, you have the chance to drop everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we never know when that happens either. Thanks, Nancy. Yeah. Um, you talked about the ego, um, a saying that 
pop into my mind about um, self self esteem is what you are, ego is what you think you are. That's all I can share at this time. Thank you. Yeah, there's uh, there's so much to all of it. The problem that keeps running through my head is who is doing all of this? Who is saying that there is no self? Is it is it not still the mind? Isn't it? Are we not by getting into this thought process? Are we not creating the separate self? Just by asking, is there a self? And if the answer is no self, well, who realizes this no self? Is, is, it, is it the emptiness? What is the Buddha nature? Who has the Buddha nature? <laughs> <laughs> If, if I have the Buddha nature and I'm also the self, then the self has the Buddha nature. I, 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 I think the, uh, there is only one place, as far as I have read uh, in the text on Buddhism, there is only one place Buddha talks about Atta. And that's the recent prayer that you have started, the Atta Dvipa. Mm. Other than that, I do not remember seeing it anywhere else where he talks about self. The only place he talks about self is Anatta, not self. Not self right. is the only thing he ever talks about. He does not say, in fact, there is a conversation quoted somewhere in scriptures. Somebody asked him, Ananda asks him, why do you not answer the question, who is the self? And he says, if I say, I know who the self is, they will all become religious. Mm -hmm. That's what all the religions are saying, that there is a God who is the same as the Atma and this and that. And if I say there is no, I don't, the best way, best way to answer that question to be quiet. But I wish he wasn't quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sunil. And and you're right. It is this. It is this tangled mess. You know, it really is. It's uh, what is that that beautiful uh, piece of a poem? And it says, and the and the uh, the Buddha the uh, and words escape the golden Buddha's mouth, and the world has ever since been entangled in briars. <laughs> and uh, and it really is, we have this internal grappling. I need to know what this is, you know. And that need to know keeps us entrapped in the mess, you know. And that's why the Buddha said that the best way to, to see this is through silence, is through just sitting, you know. And it's, it really is so, it well, goes my, all of it, you know. All right. My paranoia says that he did this on purpose. 
<laughs> I think he did this on purpose because there is no answer. Right. And if the, if there was an answer, 2,500 years have gone by, somebody would have come up with it. And man, would that be a great answer? Mm. That would be a great answer. That would be a revolutionary answer. And he couldn't find it. So he said, well, I better not let all my followers, all my, my students go chase this rabbit hole that has no end. So I think he did that on purpose. I also believe, if I may, I, I also believe that the teaching of anatta, the, the, under, the, the wisdom that comes with recognizing that there is no self is extremely valuable for this body and mind. For us to lead a good life, it, he saw that because that was his whole purpose to reduce suffering, eliminate suffering. And he says the best way to eliminate suffering is believe that you don't have a self. Because if you believe there is no self, how can there be suffering? So if you take your palm and you put an imaginary coin in it, right? And you grab hold of it. And you now this, this is the, 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 the example of attachment. I can't let go of this coin. But if you let go, right, you open up. The coin hasn't disappeared, but I've just let go of it. It's still here, but I've let go of it. And so I don't have to have this. I don't have to have this life and death connection to it. I can see that I'm free, even though the coin is still here. And that's, I think that's really what we're pointing out. There is no doubt that as you are alive, there is a self operating in you. And the Buddha said, this is the fabrication. We have created the, the self within us. But where does that go? That's, the, that's, the, that's the, the part of it that's really amazing is where does that emerge and where does that go? Birth and death, you know? Pretty neat stuff. Thank you, Samir. Anyone else? It's always amazing because obviously we try not to make things more confusing. But we do a pretty good job at that sometimes, you know. But that ultimately when we do when we do enter into a practice, uh, we give ourselves the ability to become uh, in wonder about these things, you know. I love that idea that I can take like, instead of, you know, when you experience anger, what is this anger? To what is this anger? You know, in the minute that we change the, the question, the minute that we change the pursuit of it, well, we, we allow ourselves to investigate it. When I'm in that fight of it, well, the anger will continue. Sure. That's the same thing with all of these teachings. Um, anybody else real quick? Thank you. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that beautiful talk, Kajo. Um, for myself, I just want to say uh, I, I will never think of peanut butter cookies quite the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah.
Yes, Thich Nhat Hanh has a, a great way of writing for sure. Okay, so if that's it, a um, couple of quick announcements. So this Saturday, we uh, we have our monthly Zazen Kai that starts at 9 a.m. till about noon, uh, where we come together and we sit for about three hours in silence. Um, we practice uh, Kinhin, which is walking meditation like we did tonight. And then we have a, just maybe some sometimes a few words at the end of it. And then also uh, next week, uh, Donan will be offering a teaching and then also next Sunday uh, will be our monthly lit liturgy and all those things are on the website you can see all that also on Tuesday and Thursday evening online meditation and our uh, our morning our everyday morning mm -hmm. meditation at 5 30 those are both online only and if nobody has any questions or anything then we'll we'll close with the great vows for all However innumerable all beings are, I vow to love them all. However inexhaustible desires are, I vow to extinguish them all. However immeasurable the truth is, I vow to master it all. However endless the way is, I vow to follow it. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. Permit me to respectfully remind you that birth and death is a supreme matter. Everything is of the nature of impermanence. Everyone is of the nature of impermanence. Gone, gone, forever gone. Opportunity is too often lost. Do not squander this life. Thank you, everybody. Get home safe.